A signal? Hello? Oh, okay. We, I, uh, so I was at a meeting last week. After <laughs> you, you never know what I'm going to do. <laughs> Always keeping them on their toes. <clears throat> and somebody asked if we have our service on Sunday mornings designed so that everything leads up to the sermon, so that that's the, the culmination of the whole thing. And, uh, and the answer is not exactly. Um, the, you know, the truth is, in different Christian traditions, the worship service uh, has, you know, it sort of seems to ha can, can seem to have a different kind of culminating point or, or a different focus. In the Reformed tradition, uh, very much the, the sermon is designed to lead to the sermon. Everything is preparatory to hearing the Word of God. In a Roman Catholic tradition, of course, the service leads up to the Eucharist, leads up to the, the Mass. Uh, same thing in the Episcopal Church. Last uh, week before church, I went to an early service at an Episcopal Church nearby, and the sermon happened, uh, you know, about 10 minutes into the service, and then about 20 minutes into the service it was done. And usually, you're, you know, in our tradition, by the end of the sermon, you're starting to think about where you're going to go for brunch, and there was still most of the service left to go. Last, uh, last year, a good Friday, I had the privilege of preaching at uh, William Gray's church. You remember he came and, uh, and preached here over the summer and, uh, at St. Stephen's uh, AME, in, uh, uh, often in the African-American church tradition. It, it felt like the culmination of that service was the offering. I mean, the, this, was, this was awesome. Not only did you know, the ushers went around and collected the, and, and, and stood there, I mean, the, the collecting of the offering involved people coming forward joyfully with their offering and placing it in the boxes or baskets. I don't remember what they had. Uh, and then after the people had, then the choir came down from behind uh, where they were, and they came all the way to the back of the church, and then they danced up the aisles with their offering. And then the ushers went to the back, and they danced up, literally were dancing up the aisles with their offering. They even had like a sort of a special dance that they were doing. That, and, you know, and, uh, if you've been to... If you've been to an African-American church, the ushers, when you first go in, are like people you don't want to mess with. They seem very grave, very stern, and you just sort of do what they tell you to do. But, but you know, suddenly when they came for the offering, just, folks, you know, older people, dignified people are coming forward dancing with great gladness, bringing forward the offerings of the people. If you look at the cover of the bulletin, the kid who drew that picture, evidently for him, the high point of the service is when he gets to leave it. <clears throat> the word in the, in the bubble there is by, by the way, not love. Uh, there was a, a question of interpretation there that I'm glad we were able to iron out. Uh, and, and for us, you know, you may have noticed on the, on the uh, bulletin at the front, we have order of worship and we mention singing, giving, noting, praying, hearing, feasting, or singing. When we do communion, we'll include feasting in that. It, it, as we see it, it's all worship, right? And, and, and it's all important, and it's all part of, and, 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 and it, the worship doesn't stop when we leave. It's the order of the worship service, but order of the worship service doesn't kind of look as classy, so we just do order of worship. Of course, our lives are to be poured out as at living acts of worship to God. Um, but it's, it's, good to, it's good for us to think about as we, as we design the, the service. What, is there a sense in which we're trying to have everything 
focus on one particular piece of it. And there may be Sundays when it's important that the focus of the service be the sermon or the a particular special music or, or the offering. Um, something for us to think about. But really the question is, what is the telos of the service. Now, I've been dropping important Greek words on us throughout our Roman series, and, and here's going to be another one. Telos, T-E-L-O-S, or if you prefer tau, epsilon, lambda, omicron, sigma. Telos, very simply, can mean end. And if you recall, when A.J. Levine was here back in November, we asked what she thought of this one particular verse that we're talking about this morning. And, uh, and she said, well, telos, it just, telos means end. But telos can also mean the goal. It can mean the culmination. It can mean the, the fulfillment or the climax. The telos is what it's all leading to. In our verse today, Romans chapter 10, verse 4, we read, Paul tells us that Messiah is the telos of Torah, telos of the law, for the justification of all who believe. And here again is where we're going to break the Greek out some. You remember in the first four chapters, we talked about a couple of very important words there, one of, that being, one of them being dikaiosune. Anybody remember what dikaiosune is? Chris doesn't. <laughs> Dikaiosune, often translated as righteousness. Okay, good. Thank you, Princeton. Uh, <clears throat> can be translated as righteousness, but also can be translated as what? As justice, right? Or here, justification. So, you could read this as Paul saying that Messiah is the end or the goal of Torah for the righteousness of all who believe or for the justification of all who believe. And, of course, we also have pistuo, or pistis is the nominal form, the noun pistis. Anybody remember what pistis is? Faith, or? Or what? Well, that would be pistis. Faith or belief. Yes, in English, of course, English being the bastard child of Anglo-Saxon and, and French, we have uh, a lot of uh, words that we hung on to from both. So in, 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 uh, in our, our English, the word faith derives from the Latin side, and our word belief derives from the Anglo-Saxon side. But, but the, 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 the fact is, in our language, the words faith and belief have different connotations. I mean, they, they overlap somewhat, but we we'll use one word or the other as we see fit. Well, well, in Greek, you've got pistis, you've got faith, or belief. And so as we read this, we have to say, all right, so when, Paul, when you say that Messiah is the telos of the namu, namas, the, the law of Torah, for the dikaiosune of everyone who pistuos, you can understand why New Testament scholars stay employed writing and speaking about this stuff. And so I want us to, to look at this word 
telos of the namu, telos of the, the law of Torah. I suppose one way we could look at it is simply to say, well, Christ is the end of Torah. Christ shows up, Torah is no more. That's it, and done. But it's hard to imagine that being the case when we look at all that we find about Torah in the Old Testament, which, after all, was Jesus' Bible, one of the most uh, useful exercises I went through in seminary. The, the very first assignment I had in my Christology class, my class on the doctrine, the person and work of Jesus Christ, was we were told, okay, go home and for next week, read through all four Gospels and look at every place that Jesus says anything at all about Scripture. And when you do that, you realize how much reverence he had for the scripture that God had given, which is not surprising. You think about what a good faithful Jew would have learned by singing and praying the Psalms. Think of Psalm 19 where we read that Yahweh's Torah is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of Yahweh are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Yahweh's precepts are right giving joy to the heart. Yahweh's commands are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of Yahweh is pure, enduring forever. Yahweh's ordinances are sure and altogether righteous. They're more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great Reward. The longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, is basically a love song to Torah. This is all a, 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 an absolute just delighting in the law, the word that God has given. Ashrei tamime darech ha-hochim b'torat Yahweh. How blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to Yahweh's Torah. How blessed are they who keep his statutes, and seek him with all of their heart. I mean, here, here's some of this. This is, I'm going to just give you some of these passages. Just close your eyes and listen to this. Imagine, again, you're, if you're a, a typical, a typical uh, recipient of Paul's letter to the Romans, and certainly a, a typical uh, Jew growing up, you may well have not been literate, so you would have heard these psalms read or sung. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my hearts, all my heart. Don't let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Yahweh. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all of the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. This is Psalm 119 is an acrostic psalm where the first line of each, each of the eight verse chunks is, is, uh, begins with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So don't get thrown off when you keep hearing words like decrees and commandments. and word. This is poetry. You're not supposed to sit there and figure, okay, I'm delighting in his statutes, but I'm following his... No, wait. I, no, meditate on... No. 
it's all the same. It's all the same thing. He's talking about Torah. May your unfailing love come to me, O Yahweh, your salvation according to your promise. And then I'll answer the one who taunts me, because I trust in your word. Don't snatch the word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. I'll always obey your Torah forever and ever. I'll walk about in freedom, for I've sought out your precepts. I'll speak of your statutes before kings. I will not be put to shame, for I delight in your commands, because I love them. I lift up my hands to your commands, and I meditate on your decrees. God's Torah is the greatest blessing in the world. As one of my professors summarized Psalm 119, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I've got God's Torah. Your word, O Yahweh, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You established the earth, and it endures, and your laws endure to this day, for all things serve you. If your law, if your Torah hadn't been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. I'm never going to forget your precepts, for by them you preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I've sought out your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. Oh, how I love your Torah. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they're ever with me. I've got more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I've kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I haven't departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I, I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Your word's a, a lamp unto my feet. It's a light for my path. I've taken an oath and I've confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws I've suffered much. Preserve my life, O Yahweh, according to your word. Accept, O Yahweh, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your Torah. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I haven't strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They're the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. I hate double-minded men, but I love your Torah. You're my refuge and my shield. I put my hope in your word away from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commands of my God. Oh, sustain me according to your promise and I'll live. Don't let my hopes be dashed. Uphold me and I'll be delivered. I'll always have regard for your decrees. You reject all who stray from your decrees, for their deceitfulness is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore I love your statutes. My flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in awe of your laws. Your statutes are wonderful. And that's why I obey them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. 
I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. So turn to me and have mercy on me, as you always do to those who love your name. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Redeem me from the oppression of men that I may obey your precepts. May your face shine upon your servant and teach me your decrees. Streams of tears flow from my eyes when your Torah is not obeyed. This is a precious gift. This is a wonderful thing. This kind of attitude is the sort of attitude that Paul reflects when he says, no, the Torah is holy and righteous and good. It's no surprise that we would read in some place like Jeremiah where we were on Christmas Eve that the prophet would say on behalf of Yahweh that only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares Yahweh, will the descendants of Israel ever cease to be a nation before me. These decrees of Yahweh, these precepts, these commandments, this Torah is eternal. And it is beautiful. And it is holy. And it is worthy of being treated that way. And that's why when Jesus showed up, He said, don't think for a minute that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I am not here in any way, shape, or form to vacate Torah. I didn't come to abolish them. I came to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, not until heaven and earth disappear. Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from Torah until everything is accomplished. This is the kind of attitude that a faithful Jew would have to Torah. This is the kind of attitude that Jesus had to Torah. This certainly is the kind of attitude that Paul had to Torah. So when we read Paul say that Messiah is the telos of Torah, that he is the end, the goal, the culmination, the climax, the fulfillment, if in some way Messiah means somehow the end of Torah. It certainly can't mean the end of Torah in a way that in any way dishonors or disrespects or fails to appreciate the Torah that is there, that God has given. If somehow Torah's function is going to change as a result of Jesus' coming, then that can't be an abolition or an elimination of Torah. 
has to have something to do with a goal being achieved, with a destination being reached. As we talked about before and as we will be examining for the next several months, we have, especially here in Romans 9 to 11, Paul talking about the radical continuity of the gospel with what has come before. It's not two different gods. You don't have the God of the New Testament and then the God of the Old Testament. The God of the New Testament kind of bumps the God of the Old Testament out of the way because he's really crabby. It's the same God. And he has the same character of grace and mercy and love and justice. But we also have radical discontinuity because something is different after Calvary. It is the pivot point of all of cosmic history. And nowhere do we get any remote inkling that Paul thinks that Jesus is optional. That you don't have to look at all that God has done and is doing and will do through the lens of his life and death and resurrection. And So next week we'll be looking at the continuity and the discontinuity between Torah and this gospel that Paul preaches. Let's pray. Father, with the psalmist, we stand in awe of the beauty of your word. And we come together on Sunday mornings, and one of the ways that we worship you is by hearing your word, by opening up our hearts to receive it by investing our time and our energies in hearing from your spirit, the same spirit who inspired the word in the first place, we know is illuminating it for us as we read it and as we hear it. We pray that we would be not just faithful hearers of your word, but that we would be joyful and delighted hears people who more and more come to love this word that you have given us. Just like Jesus did. Just like Paul did. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.